Welcome back to Cherry Avenue True Crime Podcast. We have two new true crime cases today that movies were made about, continuing with our based on a true story theme. Each episode stands on its own, so you don't have to be caught up on episodes in the series or anything like that. Each episode will have movies that were based on a true story, and we will go over the movie and the real story behind it. This is Rabbit Hole 2. The two movies today are Out of the Darkness and Hunt for the I-5 Killer. Before we get started, I want to tell you about a new series on Netflix that is based on a true story, a true crime story, and it's really good. It's called The Serpent. It's absolutely brutal how cold this man was and everything that he did. And the series does a great job of telling that, but it's also an inspirational story. A story of a man who kept pushing to stop him and get him caught. And the group of people who got together to make his capture happen. Truly impressive. Really well done. Good acting. Worth checking out. First movie is Out of the Darkness, a 1985 movie that was made for TV. It stars Martin Sheen, and it's really well done for its time. I found it on YouTube. It's one detective story from the time of Son of Sam. There is good acting with Martin Sheen, who plays the detective, Ed Zico, who at first is on the outer edges of the investigation, but then gets right in the middle of it. With all the killings take place, the people in the neighborhood talking to each other about all of it, telling kids not to stay in their parked cars, telling girls to put their hair up because the killer targeted girls with long hair, etc. There are detectives following up on leads with people who are calling in and saying someone looks like the sketch of the killer or acts in a funny way. Zigo has to go and check out some of these reports. Just about everywhere he goes, someone is talking about the shootings. July 29, 1976 was the first noted shooting attributed to Son of Sam. Two young women, ages 18 and 19, were sitting in a car talking after having been to a disco. It was 1.10 a.m. in the Bronx. Donna Loria opened her car door and saw a man approach them. The man took a pistol out of a paper bag and got down in a crouched position. He took aim, using his elbow on his knee, and fired. Donna was killed instantly by the bullet. Jody Valenti was shot in the thigh. The man shot a third time, and this bullet missed both of them. Valenti survived. October 23, 1976, he struck again, but this time in Flushing's Queens. Carl DeNaro, age 20, and Rosemary Keenan, age 18, were sitting in Keenan's parked car. Suddenly, the windows shattered. Keenan started the car and sped away. They hadn't even realized someone had been shooting at them. Later, Denaro discovered that he had a bullet wound and ended up needing a metal plate to replace a portion of his skull. Keenan had not been shot, but had some minor injuries from the broken glass. Neither of them saw the shooter. November 27, 1976, two high school students walked home from a movie around midnight and were sitting on a porch in Floral Park. A man dressed in military fatigues came up and asked them for directions. Before he finished telling them where he wanted to go, he had pulled out a gun and started firing at them. He shot them each once, but after they were on the ground, he fired several more times. Donna DeMassey, 16, had been shot in the neck, but she would survive. Joanne Lemineau, 18, was shot in the back and was in serious condition. 
She survived, but was a paraplegic. January 30, 1977, Christine Frond, 26, and fiancé John Deal, 30, were sitting in his car in Queens. They had just finished seeing the movie Rocky and were about to take off to go to a dance hall. Three gunshots were fired into the car. Deal quickly drove away for help. He had minor injuries, but Christine had been hit twice, and she died at the hospital. Neither of them had seen the shooter. The first announcement to the public was made after this last shooting. It was acknowledged that the shooting was similar to earlier incidents, and they might be connected. All of the victims had been struck with forty-four caliber bullets. They also seemed to target women with long, dark hair. March 8, 1977, Virginia Voskurichin, 19, was walking home from Columbia University when she was shot in the head, killing her. She had tried to shield herself with her school books, but the bullet had gone through. March 10th, a press conference was held, and it was announced that it was a forty-four Bulldog revolver that had killed two of the earlier victims. In April of 1977, in the Bronx, Alexander Ashu, 20, and Valentina Suriana, 18, were sitting in Valentina's car just outside her home. They were both shot twice. Suriana died at the scene, and Ashu died at the hospital. A handwritten letter was found at the scene of the killings. It was written mostly in block capital letters with a few lowercase letters and addressed to NYPD Captain Joseph Borelli. It was in this letter that Berkowitz used the name Son of Sam. Up until this point, he had been called the forty-four caliber killer. At first, the letter had been withheld to the public, but eventually they released some of it, including the name Son of Sam, which the newspapers quickly started to use. The letter read, I am deeply hurt by you calling me a woman-hater. I am not, but I am a monster. I am the son of Sam. I am a little brat. When Father Sam gets drunk, he gets mean. He beats his family. Sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house. Other times he locks me in the garage. Sam loves to drink blood. Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. Behind our house some rest, mostly young, raped and slaughtered, their blood drained, just bones now. Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic, too. I can't get out, but I look out the attic window and watch the world go by. I feel like an outsider. I am on a different wavelength than everybody else, programmed to kill. However, to stop me, you must kill me. Attention all police. Shoot me first. Shoot to kill or else. Keep me out of the way or you will die. Papa Sam is old now. He needs some blood to preserve his youth. He has had too many heart attacks. Too many heart attacks. Ugh, me hoot it hurts, sonny boy. I miss my pretty princess most of all. She's resting in our lady's house, but I'll see her soon. I am the monster, Beezlebub, the chubby behemoth. I love to hunt, prowling the streets looking for fair game, tasty meat. The women of queens are the prettiest of all. I must be the water they drink. I live for the hunt, my life, blood for Papa. Mr. Brelli, sir, I don't want to kill any more, no, sir, no more, but I must honor thy father. I want to make love to the world. I love people. I don't belong on earth. Return me to Yahus, to the people of Queens. I love you, and I want to wish you all a happy Easter. 
May God bless you in this life and in the next. And for now, I say, goodbye and good night. Police, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back. To be interpreted as bang, 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 bank, bang, ugh. Yours in murder, Mr. Monster. There was another letter delivered on May 30th, 1977 to the newspaper columnist Jimmy Breslin of the Daily News. It was postmarked from Inglewood, New Jersey. It read, Hello from the gutters of NYC, which are filled with dog manure, vomit, stale wine, urine, and blood. Hello from the cracks in the sidewalks of NYC, and from the ants that dwell in these cracks, and feed in the dried blood of the dead that has settled into the cracks. J.B., I am just dropping you a line to let you know that I appreciate your interest in these recent and horrendous 44 killings. I also want to tell you that I read your column daily, and I find it quite informative. Tell me, Jim, what will you have for July 29th? You can forget about me if you like, because I don't care for publicity. However, you must not forget Donna Luria, and you cannot let the people forget her either. She was a very, very sweet girl, but Sam's a thirsty lad, and he won't let me stop killing until he gets his fill of blood. Mr. Breslin, sir, don't think that because you haven't heard from me for a while that I went to sleep. No, rather I am still here, like a spirit roaming the night, thirsty, hungry, seldom stopping to rest, anxious to please Sam. I love my work. Now the void has been filled. Perhaps we will meet face to face some day, or perhaps I will be blown away by cops with smoking thirty-eights. Whatever. If I shall be fortunate enough to meet you, I will tell you all about Sam if you like, and I will introduce you to him. His name is Sam the Terrible. Not knowing what the future holds, I shall say farewell, and I will see you at the next job. Or should I say you will see my handiwork at the next job? Remember, Miss Loria. Thank you. And in their blood from the gutter, here are some names to help you along. Forward them to the inspector to use by NCIC. The Duke of Death. The Wicked King Wicker. The Twenty-Two Disciples of Hell. John Wheaties. P.S. Please inform all the detectives working the slaying to remain. P.S. J.B. Please inform all the detectives working the case that I wish them the best of luck. Keep em diggin', drive on, think positive, get off your butts, knock on coffins, etc. Upon my capture, I promise to buy all the guys working the case a new pair of shoes if I can get up the money. Son of Sam. The New York Daily News published the letter a week later, after agreeing with police to withhold portions of the text, and Breslin urged the killer to surrender. Police received thousands of tips based on references in the publicized portions of the letter, all of which proved useless. All of the shooting victims to date had long dark hair, and thousands of women in New York acquired short haircuts or brightly colored dyes to their hair, and beauty supply stores had trouble meeting the demands for wigs. June 26, 1977, there was another shooting in Bayside, Queens. Sal Lupo, 20, and Judy Placido, 17, were sitting in his parked car around 3 a.m. They had just left a disco. Three gunshots suddenly pierced through the car. Lupo was hit in the right forearm. Placido was hit in the right temple and shoulder and the back of the neck. Amazingly, they both survived. July 31, 1977, in Brooklyn, the final attack occurred. 
Stacy Moskowitz and Robert Violente, both 20, were sitting in Violente's car. They were on their first date. Four shots were fired into the car and both of them were shot in the head. Violente survived but lost his left eye. Moskowitz, unfortunately, did not survive. A woman was out walking her dog that night. She saw a police officer ticketing a car that was near a fire hydrant. She also saw a man who concerned her. He walked by her and she hurried home. Just minutes after the traffic officer left, she heard gunshots behind her. For some reason, she did not report this for four days. But when she did, the police looked closely at every car ticketed that night. David Berkowitz's 1970 four-door yellow Ford Galaxy was one of those cars. Police went to look for Berkowitz's car and found it parked on the street outside his apartment building in Yonkers. They saw a rifle in the back seat, searched the car, and found a duffel bag filled with ammunition, maps of the crime scenes, along with a letter addressed to Inspector Timothy Dowd of the Omega Task Force. They waited for Berkowitz to leave the apartment to arrest him. They were also waiting for a search warrant for his apartment. Berkowitz came out around 10 p.m. Now that I've got you, Detective Felatiso said to the suspect, who have I got? You know, the man said, and what the detective remembered was a soft, almost sweet voice. No, I don't. You tell me. The man turned his head and said, I'm Sam. You're Sam. Sam who? Sam. David Berkowitz. There is an alternate version to what Berkowitz said that night. It is, well, you got me. How come it took you such a long time? Berkowitz claimed that his neighbor's dog was one of the reasons that he killed, stating that the dog demanded the blood of pretty young girls. He said that the Sam mentioned in the first letter was his former neighbor, Sam Carr, and Harvey was Sam's black Labrador retriever who was possessed by an ancient demon and told Berkowitz to kill. There were some other things about demonic possession, but eventually Berkowitz declared that the claims of demonic possession were a hoax. Berkowitz admitted that he thought about the murder for a very long time as a way to get revenge on a world that he felt had rejected and hurt him. David Berkowitz was sentenced to six life sentences. He killed six and wounded ten, including the two stabbings that he told police he did in December of 1975. David Berkowitz is still alive and is currently serving time in Shawnagunk Correctional Facility in New York. Many financial offers were made to Berkowitz for his story. However, most states, including New York, have passed laws that some refer to as Son of Sam laws that prevent convicted criminals from financially profiting from books, movies, or other enterprises related to their crimes. Berkowitz does not receive any royalties or profits from any sales of his works or the works of others regarding the Son of Sam case. David Berkowitz was born Richard David Falco and adopted as a baby by Pearl and Nathan Berkowitz. There are two other Son of Sam movies you can check out. The first is Summer of Sam, a 1999 movie. I saw this movie a really long time ago, probably close to when it came out, and it has excellent reviews. It's not available to stream on any of the streaming services that I have access to. It's more about the times in the Bronx in the late 1970s, and the Son of Sam killings are sort of in the background. If I remember properly, it was a pretty good movie. 
The other one is Son of Sam, a 2008 movie. I haven't seen this one. I understand it's a little gritty, and some of the reviews describe it as uh, on the low-budget side. But like I said, I haven't seen it, so I can't give it a review. If you can find it to watch, you might want to check it out. The other movie for this episode is Hunt for the I-5 Killer. It's a 2011 movie. I found it on YouTube. stars John Corbett and Ty Runyon. The movie is based on the true crime book by Anne Rule. It's the story of the investigation and the crimes of Randall Woodfield, who committed multiple sexual assaults and murders. This man went from being a Green Bay Packer football player to a serial killer. The movie starts with similar type crimes piling up and a description of the attacker being a guy with a hoodie and a bandage or tape on his nose. It eventually becomes apparent that he is going up and down the I-5, getting off the freeway and finding victims within one or two blocks of the exit. They all appear to be opportunistic and not planned. Some of the robberies took place at convenience stores. Some victims were raped and most murdered. The movie depicts a scene where two women are cleaning office buildings at night. When one of them opens the door of the office, he forces his way inside and orders them into a room. He tells them to take off their clothes. Another scene depicts a mother and daughter just leaving their house to get in their car, and then they are forced back into their house by the attacker to be raped and murdered. Detective Kamenek finds the connection between the crimes with the description and confirms the connection with the bullets matching. They then find a good suspect, looks like the description, was in the area of one of the murders, has no alibi, but then the killer strikes again while the suspect is in custody. They have to keep looking. A waitress is killed and raped in a restaurant eight miles from the I-5, so initially it is not suspected that it is the I-5 killer. So a separate detective is on this case. This detective gets a lead for a Randall Woodfield who used to work as a bartender with the waitress that was killed. Woodfield is interviewed by the detective and he tells him that yes, he saw the waitress when she waited on him and his friend Clay. He says he hadn't known that she worked at that restaurant. They used to work together somewhere else. The detective has found out that Woodfield had also been questioned in the suspicious death of another woman he had known years earlier. He decides to look into Woodfield further. Meanwhile, Detective Kamenek is busy when the I-5 killer strikes again, killing two girls at a diner. One of the girls gets away from the killer during the attack and is chased down and shot to death outside. Kamenek puts a roadblock out to try and catch him, and according to the movie, they actually talk to the I-5 killer in his car, but because someone else tries to break through the roadblock, their attention is turned to that person. Not long after this, Detective Metner from Beaverton PD calls Detective Dave Komenek. He tells him about interviewing Randall Woodfield. And even though his murder wasn't close to the I-5, he thinks this Woodfield fits the description of the I-5 killer. And while he was at this guy's apartment, he noticed a couple of rolls of adhesive tape like the I-5 killer uses on his nose. He also tells him that Woodfield was a former football player who did a couple of years for armed robbery. Kamenik decides to go to Eugene, where Woodfield is living. They look at his file and find out that he had three arrests in college for indecent exposure. He was drafted by the Green Bay Packers. He was also arrested for rape and armed robbery, but the DA dropped the rape charge in the plea bargain, so he wasn't on the sex offenders list that the detectives had pulled. 
he served two years. They look at the Stacy Donner murder that he was questioned in. The woman had broken up with Clay, which was Randall Woodfield's friend, so it looked more like Clay would be the murderer, but then they see a gun that went missing from Stacy's house, and it was a thirty-two caliber, which is what was used in the I-5 killing. The detective tells them that he heard from the Green Bay Packers that they cut Randy because he was always flashing girls. He was first convicted in the murder of Sherry Hall, the woman who was working cleaning offices that night that was able to identify Randy in a lineup. Years later, DNA was able to match Woodfield to the killings of Samantha Adams and Stacey Donner. It's a good movie, terrible crimes, but the movie is interesting as it follows the investigation and the capture. Randall Brent Woodfield was born December 26, 1950. He became a robber, kidnapper, rapist, and a serial killer and was dubbed the I-5 killer by the press due to his crimes being committed along the I-5 freeway through Washington, Oregon, and California. He has been linked to 18 murders, but authorities suspect him of up to 44. In 1975, Woodfield began a string of robberies and sexual assaults on women in Portland, which he committed at Knife Point. Between 1980 and 1981, he committed multiple murders in cities along the I-5 corridor in Washington, Oregon, and California. He was convicted of one murder, one attempted murder, second-degree robbery, sodomy, and sexual assault. He was sentenced to life imprisonment plus 165 years. He is still alive and is imprisoned at Oregon State Penitentiary. I have some bonus movie names that you can hopefully find to stream. They are, of course, based on a true story and are about true crime. The first one is Victim of Beauty. It's a 1991 movie. I found it available on Netflix. It is also known as Nightmare in Columbia County. So if you look for somewhere else other than Netflix, you might find it as Nightmare in Columbia County or Victim of Beauty. It is the story of Sherry and Dawn, two sisters. The younger sister is kidnapped by the end of the family's long driveway. The killer is fascinated, however, by the older sister, who is a beauty contestant. He killed the younger sister on the first day he kidnapped her, but he does not tell the family that. He tells the family and he tells Dawn that she is alive and okay. And then one day he tells Dawn where to find her sister and the police find her dead. The killer promises to get to Dawn someday too so that she can join all of them, he tells her. In the meantime, he tells her about another girl that he is taking. The story is about the killer Larry Jean Bell and what he did to this family. It's uh, it's well done. It's definitely worth checking out. Tough story, but it's very well done. Victim of Beauty, 1991 movie uh, found on Netflix. The other bonus movie name is Poisoned by Love, the Kern County Murders, 1993 movie. I found this one on YouTube. It's a story about a womanizer who's been married three times before, and then his fourth wife dies by mysterious circumstances. She died with odd symptoms, but was cremated, so repeat testing was unable to be done. He marries again soon after, having met wife number five while still married to wife number four. One of his ex-wives finds this interesting, and she starts to talk to his mom, who reveals that she told him that when he married wife number four that if he screwed it up if he screwed up another marriage she would cut him out of his will 
that if she's, he screwed up another marriage, she would cut him out of her will. And then, of course, number four did not end in divorce, but death. Then wife number five tells him that he wants a, she wants a divorce because he has been messing around. So then wife number five, after threatening a divorce, uh, is, ends up in the hospital after eating some homemade ice cream. And then not too long after that, she dies as well. So it's a good one to check out. It's also well done. Uh, there's another actor in there. I can't remember who it is that you might recognize, but it's Poison by Love, The Kern County Murders, 1993. Thank you for listening. New episodes come out on the 15th and the 30th of each month with the occasional bonus episode randomly released. So please hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. If you want to support this podcast, please tell a friend and share about it on social media. And come and visit me on social media. I'm on Twitter at Avenue Crime and on Instagram at Cherry Avenue True Crime. And most of all, just thank you for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. Till next time, be safe. The links for the sources for this episode will be posted on the show notes. They are as follows. Randall Woodfield Murderpedia, the Encyclopedia of Murders. Randall Woodfield, the I-5 killer, former Green Bay Packer, long form, sportsillustrated.com, si.com. It's a Sports Illustrated article by L. John Wertheim. Randall Woodfield, the I-5 killer, Crime Scene Database at CrimeScenedb.com. David Berkowitz, Wikipedia. David Berkowitz, Crimes, Letters, and Facts, Biography. Inside the Son of Sam Case, Biography.